0: Uh, thank you for being here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with us to Daniel chapter 6. You may have heard this one before. This is called Daniel and the Lion's Den. I don't know if you've ever been familiarized with this particular story, but uh, this, is, this is a tremendous passage, and uh, I was just telling Scott, I feel like the only thing we can do is mess it up because it's so good. Uh, you, you just don't want to handle this one incorrectly. Uh, a really challenging and encouraging passage about Daniel's faithfulness uh, in the midst of this and God's faithfulness to Daniel. So, we're going to pray, then we'll take it in pieces as we go through it. Daniel chapter 6. Papa Fred, could
1: you uh, pray for us? Thank you, Mark. Dear Lord, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, this, this is the one story that, I, <laughs> that jumps out, I think, at every, in every child that, that's ever attended Sunday school is the story of Daniel in the lion's den, and, and, uh, and yet it's a real story it happened in real time uh, in uh, the persian empire and uh, you know it's amazing that uh, we can we can look at the story uh gosh how many years uh later and and relate uh, because uh, society and the world uh the way it's going wants to put us in the lion's den and and to have faith like Daniel, and to pray like Daniel, and to be faithful like Daniel, and to be a man of integrity, so much so that the, that the king lamented that he even uh, uh, con, uh, considered this alternative. Of course, he didn't realize it was Daniel at the time, but is uh, his, has implications for all of us, and so I, walk with us today. We need your help, Holy Spirit, and uh, give us uh, the very words that would help us to... Uh, exposit and and, uh, dissect this text, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, look with me, we'll read the first
0: section here, the first just uh, five verses, and uh, here we go. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, this is the word of the Lord. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said… We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So let's just stop there and, and begin uh, talking about this a little bit. Uh, Papa Fred, why don't you kick us off?
1: Sure. Um, I've already discussed this with, with some of the guys, and, and uh, so in case you wonder who Darius is, Darius um, is. And this is subject to debate somewhat it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Um, first of all, the we've switched empires now. we're into the Persian Empire and the, one of the things that the Persian Empire is known for is having the most organization of any of the early uh, empires. In fact it stretched ultimately it stretched all the way from, What modern-day Turkey to India, and uh, it it was only matched by Alexander the Great's conquest. But he never organized things like the Persians did. They had these satrap or satraperies, satrapies, and they were government uh, the governors of of different provinces. And that way, the, the, the the the. Persians could maintain control over their their state. So anyway, he, he set up these 120 satraps. Darius, some of the commentators say that, uh, in case you wonder, uh, Darius and Cyrus. That Darius was a honored title for Cyrus. Uh, Cyrus was actually the king that conquered Babylon that night uh, and and took over from um, Belshazzar during post the feast, and um, but. Uh, Cyrus was also a Mede, uh, I mean excuse me, he had Mede descendants, his father-in-law was a Mede, he, his mother was a Mede, he was a Persian, so the Medes and the Persians were joined at the hip, and they had a great relationship, it's more like a family, and so the title um, is a, forgive my Persian but is a is a median throne name. And I think, uh, even though he was Persian, he adopted the median throne, throne name. Now, Daniel uses it sometimes, and then he uses Cyrus sometimes. So it can be a little bit of confusion. So that's, that's who Darius is. Um, he set officials uh, of whom Daniel was one. Uh, now, of all these 120 satraps, they only have three officials, Daniel, uh, is one of those officials, uh, which is pretty amazing. Is. So Cyrus picked up, or Darius picked up right away that this guy was a man of integrity. Uh, he had served Belshazzar, he had served Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he just had a history, which which is which says a lot for our witness in the world. If we're known as a person of integrity, and Daniel was, uh, I mean Cyrus being pretty savvy wanted to want to select some somebody. Now he was one of the exiles, but he had a reputation for faithfulness over his, um, over his kingdom. And Papa, let me just say there, that, that's a huge
0: application for what we quote call secular work, which, you know, most of us for most of our lives are involved in just sort of regular jobs. And Daniel had here a job in a pagan empire, and what did he do about it? Well. Clearly, he never sins, he never compromises, uh, he never commits a sin of omission, not doing what he should do, and he doesn't commit a sin of commission, doing what he ought not to do. Daniel always is faithful to obey God, but in the midst of his work, he always exercises discipline, and he works with love, and he works with integrity, and he works hard, and people around him noticed that he was hardworking and trustworthy and reliable. If he said he was going to do something… He did it. If he said he was going to do it on time, he would do it on time. Daniel was that kind of guy. And so he had the reputation, even among secular people who worship false gods, they even had a respect for his character. And so we as Christians, uh, I I, I feel like I'm in a bit of a unique position since I work at a Christian school and I work at a church, so I'm in a little bit of a strange position there. But for most of us, working with whatever job you do, you're going to be around non-Christians a lot more than probably I am. And that is a great opportunity to let your character and what you say… Both of those things together back up the message of Christianity. And when we fail, when we sin, we confess that, we repent, we make that known. We don't try to cover it up or whatnot. What but um, I think Daniel's a great example of being holy in a, quote, secular job. Uh, and verse 3 says,
1: because an excellent spirit was in him. Goodness. That, that people would say that about any of us. Yeah. I'm I, I Just piggybacking
2: on just what you're saying. Again, I'll just read verse 3, the beginning of verse 3, like Papa Fred just mentioned. This Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And somebody just said, Daniel exemplified a long obedience in the same direction. Like he's in his 80s now, likely. And even in chapter one, he's probably a teenager. And there he was faithful. And he just just exemplified this faithfulness all throughout his life. Uh, It just sort of, he never wavered from godliness. And I think for us, the application would be, I think Kevin DeYoung said there's no small days. There should be no small days in our life. Every day we should be cultivating just ordinary, faithful obedience to God, not neglecting the means of grace, just continually growing. And I think that's Daniel. He's a great uh, example of that. But then he, he just said, well, uh, Begg said this. He said, uh, well, another pastor said, age apparently is no barrier to spiritual usefulness. And he said, for, Beg said, for those of us who are older, Daniel 6 stands as an encouragement to us to keep running the race all the way through the tape and not to let ourselves drift as we approach the end, and I, as I read this, uh, here's an example: Daniel, who's who's in his 80s, he's faithful, he's running to the end. I, I immediately thought of Papa Fred as I was working on this, and uh, Papa Fred exemplifies this like like Daniel. I mean, he gets made fun of for his age a lot of the time <laughs> up here, but but Papa Fred, I remember I told I said this not too long ago. We had an elders meeting, and, and Jerry Ediger came, and he just he he said he wanted to read an update from Papa Fred's ministry, and he just went through this list of all the things that Papa Fred was doing. I was like, whoa, like all the people Papa Fred was meeting with, all the people he's discipling, all, like the interconnected of Papa Fred with so many different guys in our church, how he faithfully prepares every week. I mean, we have an example right here of a guy who's just running towards the end of his life. And I we want to be like this. So I'm just thankful for, for Papa and uh, thankful for Daniel that he, as we grow older, the, the temptation could be to drift more because we think we've done all this mm-hmm. stuff, but, but we want to just keep running. And so thankful for this guy that he's just running hard. Thank
3: you. Uh, something oh. as I was listening and studying and thinking through this, um, we all know Jeremiah chapter 29 for verse yeah. 11 But Jeremiah wrote his letter, this letter to the exiles in Babylon. And this would have been when Daniel was there, his friends were there, other Jews at the time. Um, And it's in that letter that um, Jeremiah says this. This is chapter 29. Look at verse 4. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I'm going to pause there simply because yes, Nebuchadnezzar took them, but ultimately they were sent by God. Okay, that's important. Um, whom I sent, I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What does he say? Verse five: Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. And do not decrease. But verse seven: seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. And I think Daniel took that to heart. Like I, I, I have a hard time believing he would not have seen this letter at mm-hmm. some point earlier on with uh, Jeremiah's instructions from God to his people in exile. Um, do the best you can do for wherever God has sent you, um, whether that's in your homeland or in this pagan, uh, pagan Babylon. Pursue its welfare, and I think that's what, like what you've been saying. That's what we see Daniel doing. I mean, he gave his life literally to serve Babylon, and then uh, per, the Medo-Persian Empire after that. And where whoever was the king over him, he always sought the prosperity of the king, the prosperity of the land, that things would go as well as possible where he was. And I don't think that means he compromised on realizing that um, his home was still back in Jerusalem. Like, I don't think he ever got past that because he still prayed toward Jerusalem as he was commanded um, and stuff like that. But he sought the welfare. And I think the fact that he sought it so well, and obviously God's blessing was on him. But I mean, here's this Jewish exile slave who continues to be one of the greatest sources of blessing in a pagan kingdom. And it's amazing. Uh,
0: That's a great point. And going off that further, you've got Joseph in the book of Genesis, and you've got Daniel, who is very similar to Joseph in a lot of ways. They both interpret dreams of pagan kings and are exalted for their faithfulness. But in in both stories, Joseph and Daniel both have places where they're highly exalted and have high positions, and they're faithful in those. But they both also have times of obscurity, and they're faithful in those too. And I think that is a huge challenge. So when Joseph is in prison, he's still being faithful to the Lord in prison. When when he's in Potiphar's house, he's being faithful to the Lord. No matter where he is, whether he's second in command or he's in the bottom of a prison, forgotten for two more years, uh, he's still being faithful. Daniel similarly, although he's, he's often very respected, in the last chapter, last Sunday, Belshazzar's feast, it is very clear that when Belshazzar came into power at that time, he had no regard for Daniel. Daniel seemed to be a has-been type of person. Like, he, he's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's, he's past his prime. We, he hardly remembers who Daniel is until his, you know, his mom comes in and says, you know, Daniel, let me tell you about what he did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But I mean, whether Daniel was in the spotlight or he was more hidden away in a corner, just like Joseph, they both remained faithful to God no matter what. And so th- their dedication was to God, not to What people are thinking or saying in the in the particular moment that they're in.
3: Well, I think too. um, I think it was Vodi said this. We tend to going off your point about that all work can honor God. I think Vodi Bachman was the one who said like typically we think if you really want to honor the Lord, you've got to be. um, He had like three things: was a missionary, um, you know, a pastor, or or something like that. And what Daniel is showing us is that you can honor God in some of the most powerful ways in a non-ministry position. Um, Daniel is one of the most faithful men of God in the Bible, and he never, lit, you know, offered one sacrifice as a priest. He he wasn't, you know, a prophet like Elijah and Elisha and Moses. Yes, he spoke prophetically, but he didn't have all the positions that we typically think are the God called positions. But he was one of the most faithful, righteous men. And so, you know, wherever you find yourself. Give your all to honor God in that position. God has you there uh, by design and by His purpose, and you can do great good for the kingdom of God, even if you're not in a full-time ministry position.
0: And I think one of the most challenging aspects about Daniel in this story is, let me just reread verses 4 and 5.
3: This is Daniel 6,
0: verses 4 and 5. Then the high officials and the satraps, clearly they're jealous of Daniel, you can tell, sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. So, they're trying to find what law is He breaking in our land, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because He was faithful, and no error or fault was found in Him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of His God. I mean, I really do hope that that is said of us, you know, as, as, as days get a little darker in some regards in the coming years, most likely. I, I do, but if people want to get us in trouble, I hope that they say, we can't get them in trouble for legal problems. It's not that they're doing tax evasion over here. These people are not embezzling money. They're not lying at work. They're not cheating people out of mun, funds or whatever it is. No, no, no. These people, if we're going to get them in trouble, it's going to be because they believe the Bible from beginning to end. Whatever it says, they believe, they teach, they, they try to obey that. If we're going to get this person in trouble, it's going to have to be what the Bible says that we don't like. That's what we're going have to do. It. And so, Daniel was so faithful, they knew that was the only way they could catch him. Yeah. another One
2: other thing on this, in terms of Daniel's just ordinary faithfulness, sort of in a secular, quote-unquote, position. Uh, one commentator said, he embodied the words of Jesus, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And Alistair Begg was so good on this. He just said, that's what we're called to be as servants of the Lord God. You should not have to walk around your office with a large study Bible tucked under your arm for people <laughs> to know that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus. What is far more compelling is to be faithful, to be trustworthy, and to be reliable, that's so good. Now, it's not wrong, like I had a friend of mine who interviewed at a Fortune 500 company, he took his Bible with him to interview, he said he wanted them to know right away, "This this is what I am, this is what I stand for, there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing that's going to be compelling is to be faithful, is to be trustworthy, is to be honest, to be hardworking. That's going to be standing. I thought about Manuel with Jose, who wouldn't gossip. That was the thing that stood out. If we do that, we're going to stand out. Our lights are going to shine, like Philippians says. If we're just pursuing ordinary faithfulness, people are going to be like, this guy never complains. What is it about you? They're going to ask us for the reason for the hope that is in us. So that's, again, Daniel is just so compelling there that we should draw strength from him and we should be praying regularly. I think Let let me let my light shine before others every day. Not that we have to have this Bible, but our life would be compelling by our example.
0: Let me continue reading, so we'll catch back up as we go, uh, just so we keep making some progress. Verse 6, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, now notice this is a lie, all the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Let's stop briefly
1: here. Uh, Thoughts on this section? I can't believe he did that. I mean, unless his hubris took over and he thought, well, they're trying to honor me. Now, typically, Persian leaders did not declare themselves as God. And and here, they're not declaring him as a God. They just don't want to pray to any other entity other than, I guess, him for 30 days. Um,
0: Which may have been a call for unity. It's a, it's early in the kingdom, a way of unifying everyone around a common theme or religion, right. similar to the golden well, statue kind of, of Nebuchadnezzar. That's right.
1: Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do that. He, he um Uh, after the vision and everything like that, and and then he erects the same thing to, uh, he had a revolt, I think we talked about that, Uh, some sort of a revolt, and this was a way to ensure everyone's on the same page. And and it's interesting because this is where so-called good
0: politics is really bad morality. Right, so th- this was politically a cunning idea, right This will unify everyone around the king. This will create political unity, this will create a, a cohesiveness to our new kingdom to make sure there's not splinter groups and all kinds of division. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have one thing in common, which will be the king himself. and the king, of course, buys into this, it feeds his ego, it creates political expediency and unity what he what 's looking for. But uh, pragmatic politics and biblical principles and biblical morality are so often uh, completely at odds, and so this is another example of, of that. You see that with. Before they crucified Jesus, Caiaphas, the high priest, says, hey, if we have this one guy who's causing trouble put to death, we will not be threatened with Rome taking away the Jewish kingdom here in Jerusalem. So if we just let one innocent guy die, Jesus, then we get to protect our political power. Isn't that a good idea? One to die rather than the whole nation perish. And they said, that's a great idea. We we like that because that's political pragmatism. It's not acting from principle of what is actually right.
2: Yeah, I would just say one one thing that was interesting between Daniel 3 and Daniel 6, there's a parallel there. Like Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are told to bow down to to an idol, and they can't do that. But Daniel 6 is very similar, except they're told to refrain from doing God, something God wants you to do, pray. So our culture is going to tempt us on both sides. Mm. Our culture is going to tempt us to bow down to the idols of the culture, sports or whatever it is. It's going to tempt us to bow down. And then on the other side, our culture is going to say, you know, don't do the means of grace. Release the means of grace. Don't, don't do that. And so I just thought, so interesting, chapter 3 and 6, those two sides, that how our culture is going to do the same thing to us, press us on both sides, and we see these examples of
3: faithfulness on both sides of, of, of that issue. I would say, too, looking at how Darius responds, we need to be very careful about flattery. Mm. Um, he, because he knew Daniel. he resp- Obviously, he had a high regard for Daniel. He was so caught up in the praise that he was receiving that he totally missed that Daniel wasn't there, a part of this giving affirmation to it. He should have seen that, but he let it get to go to his head. Man, look how great I am, and look what I'm about to do for unity, this, that, and the other, uh, that he totally missed, that the one guy that he wanted more than anyone to be in charge wasn't there affirming that, and he should have at least been like, okay, where's Daniel? Um, And so I think we have to be very careful because Satan knows um, our our desire you know and for lack of a better way of saying it you know to have our egos stroked he knows we like to be praised and told how good we are and so we always need to be on guard when the praise heaps up when the when it seems like flattery is, is excessive is there something i need to be seeing that this is trying to cover over and he totally missed it Yeah, you mentioned a few months ago in a a prayer
0: time from Romans 16, Mm -hmm. the passage… You don't have to turn there, but just listen to the false teacher description in Romans 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by… Listen to this. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naïve. Why is it false teaching is so often dressed in flattering language? Because it is much easier to believe something when it appeals to my ego than when something contradicts my ego. The true gospel flattens your ego. You deserve nothing but judgment eternally under God because of your sin. That does nothing but contradict my high self-esteem, my high sense of self-worth, how great I am. The true gospel is offensive because it says, no, you you are far worse than you think, and yet here is an opportunity for salvation in Christ. The, The false gospels say you are... You know, God's got a poster of you on his bedroom wall. He just thinks you're awesome. He just thinks you're amazing. God just thinks you're the best. You know, just follow your desires, follow your heart, affirming you, praising you, lifting you up. Well, that's much easier to believe, not because it makes any sense biblically, but because we want deep down somewhere in our flesh to believe that kind of stuff. And so a a so-called man-centered preaching of the gospel... I was so valuable that Jesus died for me. I was so wonderful that Jesus died for me. God's crazy about you. God is crazy about me. That's exactly right. Those things sell, but they are not biblically accurate. And so uh, I think that we, we need to be very aware that our flattery, our ego is not its not tempting us to be deceived on doctrinal issues.
1: You remember the story, this reminds me a little bit too, like Haman's plot against the Jews and Esther, Yeah, you know, he was... Uh, had hatched this plot to get rid of the Jews and and, and wanting to be recognized by, <laughs> by the king and wound up, you know. Getting the opposite of what he hoped he would get. Going to the gallows <laughs> that, that he had prepared for Mordecai. So, uh, you know, be careful what you wish That's for. That's exactly right. Let me, let me pick up here at verse 10. This is amazing.
0: We, we all know this part, I think. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, and look, as he had done previously. I just want to stop on this. This is too good. I mean, this is amazing. Daniel was already getting down on his knees, having what we might call a quiet time, three times a day, morning afternoon and evening, Daniel would go to his room in an upper room. He would get down on his knees, and there was a door, a window open toward Jerusalem. I don't have time to turn there, but uh, one commentary pointed out, just real quick, in 1 Kings 8, when Solomon is dedicating the temple for the first time, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple, and they offer thousands of animal sacrifices, Solomon has this wonderful prayer to God. It's one of his high moments of his life, 1 Kings 8. And in that, he says, Lord, if the day comes where our people sin." He says, and who has not sinned? When well, the day comes when Israel sins, and they are exiled from the land, and they are taken away to a foreign land, in that day, I pray that they would turn towards you, and that they would look towards your city, Jerusalem, your temple, and that you would, uh, you would forgive their sin, and that you would restore them to the land. And we know Daniel is, gonna, is praying that, because in Daniel 9, he literally plays, prays that exact same prayer we'll get to in a few weeks. And so Daniel is praying, as he's always been praying faithfully, and when this edict goes in, you're going to be fed to the lions if you keep praying to any other god. Nothing in Daniel's life changes. He goes and has his quiet time like he always does. And three times a day, that's astonishing. This guy was so devoted to the one true God. Uh, How many of us could say that we have set aside time
1: of prayer three times a day? I mean, that is a challenge, I think, to all of us in our walk with the Lord. I actually looked that up in in David in Psalm 55. He says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me evening and morning and at noon. I Mm. utter my complaint and moan. And he hears my voice. Wow. So, we're, you know, we're not suggesting that, that we go out all and pray to the east or the west or towards Mecca or something like that. Or Jeru- Certainly not that. Or, or Jerusalem, <laughs> but we do pray. And, and we, we, we learned in our retreat that regular prayer, disciplined prayer is really important. If you, you know, whether it be morning, noon, night,
3: and every hour in between, pick a time, pick a place and pray to your God. Well, I think too, it's important that, There's kind of a, it's a hard balance to strike because we need to have regular times that are dedicated to the word and to prayer, but those don't need to be the only times we pray. Right? Um, I I think Spurgeon actually said this. It's a quote I've heard uh, from him. He says, you know, I don't remember the last time I prayed for an hour, but neither can I remember an hour in which I did not pray. Wow. Wow. but like we can take that and say well I'm, i don't think that means that we shouldn't have regular times of prayer i think it it gives us focus it keeps us disciplined um Because, you know, we we think about the potential legalism of, well, if if I don't pray, you know, however many times a day or at this time every day, then, you know, God can't use me. I'm done. It's like we want to avoid the quiet time legalism. But at the same time, in our response to that, we don't want to, like, get rid of all structure or get rid of all planning. I mean, like, we need to plan. We need structure. Like, we... Life is hard without it, and especially the Christian life.
0: Yeah, this passage is not at all something we use like a club to beat someone over the head. Oh, you don't have enough times of prayer a day. Uh, This passage should be an invitation to say, look what is offered to us. This is free of charge. All day, every day, we have the ability to go before God. We can read His Word. We can talk directly to Him, and He listens as if we're the only person around because He has total omniscience and total ability to understand all prayers of all people at all times simultaneously. Simultaneously. That's astonishing. And this is, this is more like a feast on a table saying, you can come have this. Th- this food is for you. Come come, eat, rather than a legalistic thing to hit over the head to say, oh, you don't have enough quiet times. You don't do enough. No, no, this is invitational. This is something that Daniel feasted on, and this is something we are also invited to do.
2: Yeah, one, one guy just said, uh, there, we don't read of any turmoil with Daniel. Like, should I do this or should I not do this? No, there was no turmoil at all. I mean, this, he had this holy habit, had been developed in his life. He's going to get down, pray three times a day. It doesn't matter what. And it's the consistency of it. Like Beg said, had he been inconsistent, there's no way they would have caught him in this. But the, the consistency of it, they know they're going to catch him because he's so consistent. But this was like a convicting thing from, from Beg. He said, here's a very challenging question. Would it make any substantial difference in our lives individually or as churches if prayer were to be banned for the next 30 days? And then mm-hmm. Ferguson sort of answers this question. He says, perhaps in many instances... The answer would be both embarrassing and startling, for prayer has become a neglected discipline. I mean, I just feel like it's the invitation, but we should be pushed by this text. Daniel 6'10", I think of a guy who's six foot ten. remember that, six foot ten? you remember that text, 6'10", <laughs> to be challenged by this text, to, to want to pray more, I really, I mean, just to be pushed on this, I thought about George Mueller, I mean, you can think of anybody who's, who was a man of prayer, I thought if they would have passed a law in Bristol, England, when George Mueller was alive, there is no way for one day he would not give up prayer, there is no way he would not do it, it was so part of his life, he just lived in that spirit of prayer, and I just hope it'll be said of us that we will pray more consistently. I have been really challenged by this. Like even just the week, just wanting to pray more because of his example. And that question like, oh man, what would, what would be the result if somebody banned prayer from our church? Right. Like would there be a substantial difference?
0: Yes, if, 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 our, if our prayer life and our quiet times were outlawed, how many of us would go yes. to jail? Yes.
1: <coughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. This little book, Against the Flow, is by John Lennox on Daniel. And he mentions, he's got a lot of examples. I'm only going to recite one, that this will make the hair rise on the back of your neck. Take, for instance, uh, this statement of Judge Samuel Kent of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Texas on his 1995 ruling that any student mentioning the name of Jesus in a graduation prayer would receive a jail sentence. Uh, And make no mistake, the court is, this is his words, going to have a United States marshal in attendance at the graduation. If any student offends the court, that student will be summarily arrested and will face up to six months incarceration in the Galveston County Jail for contempt of court. Anyone who violates these orders is going to wish that he or she had died as a child when this court gets through with it. Can you believe that? That's an actual ruling by a court in Texas. Now, he he cites a lot of others. But his point is that there's going to come a time when – People are going to say, you can't pray. And that's already true in many of our public uh, uh, athletic forums and and public assemblies. And it it will be
0: framed, our our devotional life to God, our biblical faithfulness will always be framed as some form of hatred towards other people. And you can see it right here. Look at verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition, makes petition uh, to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? So they're setting them up. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, that's a little bit of an ethnic prejudice sort of thing. You know, he's one of those nobodies from Judah, the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, "Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. You you have here Daniel's character being maligned. They're, They're saying that they're trying to say, he really despises you, king. He's hating you by doing this. He, he, he is against you. He doesn't care about you. He has no respect for you, king. He is doing deliberately what you said not to do. And they're, they're trying to get at his character. Daniel had nothing but love and care for the king, but he was not going to follow the king into sin. And so uh, thoughts on that, the, the disparaging of his character?
3: Well, I mean, we should expect it as believers. Like, uh, we've, I know I've mentioned this, and we've talked about it a number of times you know, the the common mindset that if we can just reach that Christian Gentile, gentle statesman who says everything just right and the world is just fawning over us because we're so wise and caring and loving, it's like, that's just a fiction. Like what we experience here in the United States and what we have experienced, the freedom is really an anomaly in history. I'm yeah. thankful for it and I hope it continues, but it's an anomaly in history And we should not be surprised when people make stuff up about Christians or take things we say to conclusions we wouldn't take them because they hate the truth. And I mean, we have to keep in mind, Jesus said very clearly, you know, they're going to do these things to you because they hate me. It's first about their hatred of Christ and people's hatred of God. We shouldn't be surprised when we do what God's called us to do and the world gets mad about it and the world wants to shut us up. Like, that shouldn't be like, you know, how how could they do this? Yes, we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, all that. But we shouldn't be surprised at the heart of men. Because the heart of man is sinful and depraved. And it is by nature in rebellion against God. And anytime there is someone living out a life and speaking a message that is in their face showing them their rebellion, they're not going to like it. Let me jump in there, because yeah. people will oftentimes say that they have a respect for Jesus and even God,
0: and then they'll say that they, that, but they're attacking maybe something that we, we say that we believe. But the, the, the problem is they're actually supporting a Jesus of their imagination. It's an edited Jesus. It's, a, it's not a fully biblical Jesus. It's not a fully biblical God. It's a God who actually looks and sounds a lot like they look and sound, right? The, the God that they believe in oftentimes sounds a lot like them. The same kind of proclivities and the same kind of desires that they have. I remember Mark Dever told a story of a guy that always makes me laugh. This guy went on and on. It's a very liberal perspective on Christianity and God. And he said, you know, God is a guy who accepts everybody no matter what they've done. And God is always just nice to everyone no matter what. And God doesn't have wrath. And God does this and that. He went on for like five minutes and Mark Dever, at the end of the discussion, Mark Dever said, uh, he said, like, he said, Frank, uh, thank you for telling us so much about yourself, but we're here to learn about God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the God he described sounded like the guy talking, not like the God of the Bible. And so, very often people will say, I like Jesus, but I don't like what you're saying. But what we're saying is inspired by the God who is the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so, if, if, if someone is disagreeing with this book, they really are disagreeing with the, with the God that they, may, that they may have
1: to, um, they may be confused about. This reminds me of sermon on the Mount, 511. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
3: I think, too, something, and it is funny, like this actually applies very clearly to this. Um, I'm not trying to pick on the Southern Baptist Convention, but one of the things in the past, like annual meeting, during some big contentious issues that were being voted on, the world is watching. The world is watching what the SBC does. Since when is the world the criteria for whether or not what we do is right? God is watching too. And what we should aim for is what is pleasing to him. Because if we say, okay, you know, if the world's watching and we don't want the world to be mad, what's gonna end up happening is we're gonna end up compromising the truth because the, again, a world, the world is at root in rebellion against God. They're not gonna love God's truth. They're not gonna love the gospel. They're not gonna love it when we take a stand on, on truth and on the gospel as opposed to error. And so if we let what the world is thinking and what the world is feeling dictate you know, the stands we take before we know it, we're, we're gonna be joining with the world in its mockery of Christianity, and that's the last thing we want to do. And here, literally, they're, they're watching, and guess what happens? The world's watching. Daniel chose faithfulness, and they, they threw him in a lion's den. Right. All right, let's, let's continue here. <clears throat> let, let me pick back up to, at verse
0: 16 just to get the flow of this. I'll read to the end of the story. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. And no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Scott, some thoughts about the lion's den.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would say is, I mean, Daniel's in his 80s there, and he's thrown into this den. We often think of him so young, but he was not. He was in his 80s, and he's thrown into this den, and one one guy just said, God is not committed to our comfort. He is not committed to making our path through life smooth. He is committed to sanctifying us. He cares about our sanctification. He didn't keep Daniel out of the lions. He He didn't keep Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the furnace. They went in, and God doesn't always close the mouth mouth of lions. He, He does sometimes, but he doesn't always. I think it reminded me of your sermon you preached a while back, where you were talking about, we so care about, we want something out in the future, but God cares about the process. Mm. He cares about sanctifying us through that. We just need to remember that. When trials come, God is good. He's sovereign. We, we want to trust Him even in the trials. He's not committed to our comfort, but He's, he's committed to sanctifying us. So, mm. so we, we want to remember that. But that sobering part where the families get thrown in, I mean, that is just so weighty. Uh, Begg just said the punishment that fell on them is also a glimpse of divine judgment that will one day fall on those who have spent their lives opposing the kingdom of God. He did it in the flood, rescuing Noah from his judgment. He did it at the Red Sea, and He will do it one day to come. When Jesus finally returns, I mean, that's just a sobering, weighty thing. I mean, the people who oppose God, one day God's wrath will, will fall on them. And I just feel like we, we need to catch some of the, the soberness of that part of the passage
3: as well.
0: Let me read an excerpt from uh, Ian Duguid's commentary on this. Just listen for a, a few moments here. He's contrasting the the same night that Daniel had. Daniel had the worst night in terms of circumstances. Darius had the best night in terms of circumstances, but listen to how different it was. It says, what a stark contrast this provides. King Darius had at his disposal every pleasure that the ancient world had to offer, yet he could not enjoy any of them, while Daniel had nothing except the presence of his God with him in his trials, and yet enjoyed a peaceful night's rest. This shows us that true peace does not come from the possessions that we accumulate, but from the presence and favor of God in our lives. What was meant to be a terrifying and deadly trial for Daniel with the lions instead became a strengthening encounter with the angel. God was with him and preserved him safely through the ordeal. It's a powerful contrast there. Let me read another section here. Just bear with me for a moment. This story, you can't help but see the gospel in this. I mean, there's a stone rolled over and it's sealed. Sounds just like Easter morning. And listen to what Ian Duguid says. This points us to the way in which Jesus fulfilled Daniel 6. Like Daniel, Jesus was falsely accused by his enemies and brought before a ruler, Pontius Pilate, who sought unsuccessfully to deliver him from his fate before handing him over to a violent death. Like Daniel, Jesus was condemned to die, and his body was placed into a sealed pit so that his situation could not be changed by human intervention. Jesus' trial went even deeper than Daniel's, however. He did not merely suffer the threat of death. Jesus went down into death itself. Although Jesus was innocent... He suffered the fate of the guilty ones. There was, no, uh, there was no angel to comfort him with the presence of God in this pit. On the contrary, he was left in the blackness, utterly alone and abandoned by God, suffering the fate that we, the guilty ones, deserve. His body was left entombed in the icy grip of death for three days before the angel finally came to roll away his stone. Yet Jesus' experience was itself a foreshadowing of the final judgment, a declaration ahead of time of the verdict of the heavenly tribunal. Jesus died for our sins. Not his own, so that death had no ultimate power over him as a truly innocent man. So, um, final. Thoughts. Well, I was going
3: to read from Second uh, Timothy chapter four. Uh, I wonder, in light of what we're studying, if Paul had Daniel in mind when he says mm. some of what he says here. Um, this is Paul's last letter. He's writing. This is the end of the letter. He says to Timothy, um, "Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds." Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But listen to this. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Mm. And then verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We, and what, the one thing I want to say, or two things real quickly, is one, um, there will be earthly deliverances, where God delivers us from earthly peril and our time on earth is extended but all of us, barring that Jesus comes back, we're going to face a trial or an event sooner or later, which we will not be delivered from in an earthly sense. But we will be delivered through that into the heavenly kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, at the end of the day, God will get us to our final home. I think it's good news. Keep praying, Scott. Yeah, let's, let's pray.
2: Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful to be able to study this wonderful book. Uh, thank you for Daniel 6. What an incredible chapter. Hard to do justice to this chapter, I feel like, but what an incredible chapter we got to look at today. We're, we're thankful for Daniel, who just was, just pursued ordinary faithfulness his whole life. He was just a long obedience in the same direction, and may we learn from him, may we be inspired by him. Even though he was older, he was running flat out his Christian life. I'm thankful for those in our church who are older, running hard like Papa Fred, thankful for his example and all the guys he's discipling and all uh, the, how much he just loves to study your word even now and just uh, help us to draw strength from his example as well. And Father, his, Daniel's example of praying just faithfully three times a day as he had done previously, oh, what a challenge that is. To all of us, uh, but also what an invitation it is for us to, to pray. We, we should want to, to be like Daniel on this. We should want to come to you, our Heavenly Father, who's adopted us. And so I pray that there would be a change in us, even this afternoon, that we would delight to pray more. And, and we would just love to, to spend time in prayer in planned times, but also we would just pray throughout the day. We, we would delight to just come to you with, with anything that's going on, Father. I pray that we'd be more like Daniel on this. And then, Father, thank you for the, for the gospel pointing forward to Jesus Christ who, who has defeated sin and death. And thank you for the sobering reminder that there is a coming judgment to come. And, Father, I pray that we would just live our lives uh, in light of eternity. I pray for the upcoming service you'd be at work through the singing and the teaching and that we'd be uh, conformed more to the image of Christ uh, as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Uh, just so you know, uh, the first six chapters of Daniel are quite different in some ways from the last six chapters of Daniel. So we're going to take the turn next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to get into Daniel 7, which is going to begin looking to the future. Uh, the future for Daniel is, remember, starting in 500 B.C. So the future includes a lot of things that have already happened. But D- Daniel begins looking to the future, and 7 through 12 deals with a lot of eschatological or end times type issues. So just prepare yourself mentally. We're going to go from the, the familiar Sunday school stories to the slightly more confusing part of Daniel. So thank you. <clears throat>